Good morning. If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Acts, chapter 5. Acts 5 is where we're at as we go through the entirety of God's Word. And again, we look at uh, the way the Bible was written, line upon line, precept upon precept, is the way Isaiah said we're supposed to learn the Bible. Not just pastors' favorite topics and sermons or just what's on the modern genre of the day, but really, we live, as Jesus said, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So how important then is it that we know what God's word says? I look at this as important because this is how God will judge the world someday and how you are to be equipped in a world that's contrary to the spirit of God. Now we remember Jesus uh, gathered these fishermen, mandane, same old thing every day, looks at Peter and says, from now on, Peter, you're going to be catching men. We remember that Peter then, even though he followed Jesus, was still weak. We remember he denied the Lord three times, cussed and swore that he didn't know who Jesus was. Jesus catches up with him on the Sea of Galilee, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Three times he asked him that question. And he said, you know, Lord, I'm fond of you. And finally, Jesus said, well, then are you fond of me? And he goes, yeah, Lord, I'm fond of you. But then Jesus said, go to the upper room and wait. After he rose from the dead, go to the upper room and wait. And I'm going to empower you. The word power, the Bible says, Jesus said, I'm going to give you power to become witnesses. The word power is the word dudamos, where we get the word dynamite or, or dynamo or generator. And the word witnesses is the word martyrs, where we get the word martyr. I'm going to give you a generating force in you to be a martyr. Wow, you think about that for a minute. Something worth dying for. You know, I know a lot of people, I, I know a lot of people, they don't have anything to live for, let alone anything to die for. Well, that's what God gives us. Peter then filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, he's empowered. And now he stands up, instead of being a meek, denying Jesus person, now he stands up and he's full of power. And he's able to communicate who Jesus is to people that need him so badly. Well, we come into this chapter 5, and we remember that he did, and Peter and John did amazing signs and wonders, just like I believe all of you can do as well. Do you know when you share your faith with somebody, you have the potential to change their eternal destiny from hell to heaven? Do you realize that you have the power that God has given you to tell a person their past is finally forgiven? You don't have to keep taking showers to try to wash off that feeling from the night before. You don't have to get loaded in stone to escape from the life that you've lived. You know, there's an old elephant joke. Why do elephants drink? They want to forget. Well, the point is, is this. I believe a lot of things that we do are symptomatic of a much greater problem. I think the drug problem. I think alcoholism. I think all the escapisms that we do today are really symptomatic of a much greater problem in our life. And that is, we want to escape from who we are. And this is one of the great problems because we don't like who we are. That's why we have to alter ourselves to be something else that's acceptable. Well, here's the good news. The Bible says we can be forgiven. 
Not by works of our own righteousness, lest anyone would boast, but really what God does for us in that the Bible says we're clothed in his righteousness. I I can't stress that enough because there's no good thing in any of us. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. No good thing dwells in the flesh. But when we clothe ourselves with Christ, man, all kinds of wonderful things change. Now, when we have God's word, it tells us what we will change into. There's a lot of people changing right now. Some people are going from playing around with drugs to becoming full-blown junkies. Some people are playing around with alcohol and they're on their way to be a full-blown alcoholic. Everybody progresses into something. My question today is, which way are you going? What road are you on? I want to progress more into Christ because I know the more I know about God, the more I'm going to know about myself. Because he's the one that made you. And by the way, I want to share this with everybody too. You don't make who you are. You discover who you are. There's a big difference. Isn't it weird how one person can pick up a guitar and which is a couple of lessons can play music and songs. I picked up a guitar. I know the strings go forward, but I don't really, I've played as much as I can. And I, that's just not my thing. You discover who you are in the course of life. Why do you have interests in the way that you do over other interests? Because there's so many things in the world. When you realize that really, how come you have a propensity or a desire to learn about science or to uh, be into sports or whatever it might be? Did you do that? Or when God made you, did he put those ingredients in you? And as in a course of a lifetime, we begin to discover those things. You don't make who you are, you discover who you are. But in that discovery, we have to realize, why did God make us the way he did? Because you're unique, special, and God says, I'm going to do something great and marvelous in your life. Well, Peter, again, meek old Peter, weak old Peter, now empowered by the Holy Spirit, Had a mandate job of just looking at sneaky fish every day. Now God's doing something. By the way, if you're tired of your life being the way it is, great news. It can change today. God does that. We come into the story here in verse 29. And we remember that they had arrested Peter and John and the apostles, put them in jail. And what was really amazing about this is that an angel at night came and got him out of jail. Well, instead of them hightailing it to the backside of the wilderness, they went right back to where they were when they got arrested. This is weird. What kind of dynamo in them causes them to go right back and do what they were still doing before? And so when they said, bring the prisoners out, they said, they're not here. Well, where are they? They're down in the temple preaching again. Oh, yeah, go, go get them. So they get them. Now they took them peacefully because it says in verse 26, they took them without violence for they feared the people. The Sanhedrin feared the people. They didn't fear God, but they feared people. Now the Bible says to fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now that doesn't mean going, I'm scared of you, God. But what it means is to have that awesome respect for God's power in your life. And so as it says here, they didn't, they didn't uh, fear God, but they feared the people. 
Well, now they're brought back in front of this kangaroo court, if you will, after an angel got them out. And again, I'm, I'm still amazed in this because I would think that the Sanhedrin would have asked, the Sadducees would have asked, how did you get out of jail? That to me would have been a normal thing. But they are so blinded by their pride, they could care less about supernatural things. Now, I've talked about this before, but a lot of people say, well, if Uncle Fred, man, could just see a miracle, he'd believe in God. Well, you know what? There's a lot of people in the Bible that saw all kinds of miracles. And instead of it causing them to believe in God, their hearts got harder towards God. Pharaoh, for instance, we see these amazing miracles done at the hand of Moses to let the people go. The Bible says Pharaoh hardened his heart. And actually the Bible says God did it. But how did God do it? Showed him signs and wonders. And because he had such a hard heart, he wouldn't really say, okay, Lord, you're God, I'm not. But whether you look at Nebuchadnezzar or anybody else in the Old Testament, God shows people signs and wonders. Many of you listening, maybe God has shown you signs and wonders and your heart is hard towards God. Yeah, that time when you were scooting down the ice backwards and you narrowly missed the telephone pole that you were headed for head on. And God spared your life? That was a miracle. That was God's hand in your life. You know, I think it's wisdom when we begin to see and be able to detect God's presence around us. Now, people, even that aren't Christians, sometimes can do this. But when we realize that, as Luke says, in him we live move, exist, and have our being. In other words, like a fish in water, we are surrounded by the presence of God. Everything we do, we do in the presence of God. To the good, or unfortunately, sometimes to the bad. God sees it all. Well, as we look at this here, we find now that the disciples are brought back in to be interrogated, just as they did to Jesus, just as they already had done to Peter and John. Now they're doing to the apostles, and i got to say this, friends, what they're going to do to you. Because when you're a live fish swimming against a very dead downward stream, you're going to cause and be a blessing to many, and you're going to be a curse to many. Because you represent the true and living God. Let's pray. Father, as we now go to your word, we just ask you now that you would speak to us through it. That you would show us that you do, in fact, have our life in your hands. And that you would use us in a great and mighty way and use these words to encourage us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Then Peter, verse 29, and the other apostles answered and said, so this is why we know it was more than just Peter and John now, as it was uh, a chapter back. But now it says the other apostles. So it could have been all 12. It could have been some of them, but it says, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought, or literally the word is, we must uh, to obey God rather than men. Now remember, they were, they were challenged by the Sanhedrin earlier. You speak no more of this man, Jesus. And they said right then, well, we're going to do what God says to do, not what you say to do. Now, I'll tell you something. Whether you're James Dean or some other iconic 
rebellious dude. There is a part in human beings that like to rebel. Have you ever noticed that? I am a rebellious person. I just am. Now, maybe not to the level of some of you were uh, back in the 60s and 70s, but let me tell you, even today as a Christian, I am still rebellious. If the sign says 55, they won't give you a ticket. You can go 59. I go through a door, push, I'll pull. If it says wet paint, don't touch, I got to check it out. We're rebellious by nature. But here's the thing that I really believe God's word endeavors to do. Causes to rebel against the wrong things rather than the right things. That's what makes the big difference. Rebellion is not necessarily bad. It's what you're rebelling to. Well, notice it says, we ought to obey God rather than men. Verse 30, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Wow. Now talk about boldness. These guys want to kill him, okay? And instead of them soft pedaling the message, no, they put the pedal to the metal. They're saying instead of, oh, you know, we're all grooving together here, baby. We all believe in God. Okay, let's just all shake hands, kiss each other in makeup. They didn't do that. He said, you murdered him by hanging on a tree. The reason the word they use hanging on a tree is because in the Old Testament, cursed is every person who hangs on a tree. So when they had Jesus crucified on the cross, it was symbolic of a curse coming from the Old Testament. They said, you did this to him. Him God exalted to his right hand, to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses in these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Very clearly, they're attributing their boldness not to themselves. I've been a really good Christian for a lot of years. They're saying, no, what you see here is because of the Holy Spirit. Friends, I really pray that you as a Christian have been filled with the Spirit of God. Because it causes you to stand when physically, emotionally, socially, normally you wouldn't. It's just something God supernaturally does. Well, notice verse 33. And when they heard these things, they were happy and said, Oh, you say words of truth. No, it doesn't say that, does it? And when they heard these things, they were furious and took counsel to kill them. Isn't it funny that this isn't over a murder, rape, robbery, breaking into the temple and throwing the chairs all over the place? This is over telling them about a savior in that none of them could keep the Ten Commandments anyway. And yet here was somebody that came along that kept the Ten Commandments, made the righteous requirements of God. God imputes that upon those who are called by his name. And so I'm righteous, you're righteous, not because of anything I've done, but because of what he's done. All God's called me to do is have my faith, hope, and trust in him. Well, they wanted to kill him. Now, in order to kill people in those days, 
It required both the Pharisees and the Sadducees. If you notice back, if we go back a little bit, verse 17, then the high priest rose up, all those who were with him, which the sect of, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation towards the disciples. So they were angry with them. They were Sadducees. Now, Sadducees are kind of interesting. You had the Pharisees on one hand. You had the Sadducees on the other. They really generally were in opposition to each other on about everything, except for a common hatred for Christ and his followers. You'll find sometime hatred will unite people quicker than love will. And this is a good place for that we see that. Now, the Sadducees did not believe in life after death, miracles, supernatural things, signs and wonders. They believed that the Bible, the Ten Commandments, and all the law of the prophets was a good way to live. And when you're dead, you're dead. The Pharisees, on the other hand, believed in life after death, believed in supernatural occurrences and and things. And so this put them really opposed to each other. One, just a good moral code to live by. The other was, yes, there is a supernatural uh, world out there with angels and all kinds of other things. But it required both of them together to have the Roman government consider a death sentence. Well, we find here, then one of the councils stood up. Verse 34, a Pharisee. Now notice we have a different group of people now that's speaking. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. He said, okay, take these guys outside. I got something to say. Now, Paul who at this time was going around killing Christians in the Bible. His name was Saul. He was on his road. uh, We'll get to this in a little bit, but he was on the road to uh, Damascus to arrest Christians. And that's where God laid him out on the road. But when he gives his testimony, he said, I was schooled by Gamaliel. So this guy was a a well-known theologian of the day. He was respected by everybody. And so... Being a Pharisee, he stands up, and by the way, the Sadducees then knowing that the Pharisees were not going to be on their side uh, as far as the um, uniting of the death of the apostles, they listened to what he had to say. And he put them outside, and he said to the rest, Men of Israel, take heed to yourself, what you intend to do to these men. For some time ago, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be a somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all those who bade him were scattered, and it all came to nothing. And after this, a man named Judas of Galilee rose up up in the days of, of the census, drew away many people after him. He also perished, And all those who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or their work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it's of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you be found to be fighting against God. 
Well, this guy had some wisdom. He said, look, if it's of God, it's going to be something. If it's of men, hey, it's going to fall apart. Look at the others that did these kinds of things, came to nothing. And they agreed with him. Now, see, again, this is interesting to me. We don't find any record that Gamaliel was a believer. But Gamaliel had a better insight into the things of God than the the Sadducees did. Now, I just want to share this with you. You never know how God will use you as a Gamaliel as an example to bring peace in a situation. You, You see, here he just used some reason with these angered people, calmed them down, and notice it says, and they agreed with him when they had called for the apostles. Now, they didn't just call for the apostles. They they did that. But there was more. And it says, when, when they called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the shame for his name. I'd like to say that's where, well, I'm glad we say we, that that's where, doesn't where it ends. So what do they do? They hightailed it to the backside of the wilderness, and there they had their own little special sect of group of people. No, look what that happens. And daily in the temple, now this, again, remember, is where they are arrested in the first place for doing this. Daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah. Wow. How do you stop people like this? This is what I believe they couldn't recognize or or um, comprehend as the religious leaders of the day. It's, here is a bunch of untrained men. They'd been with Jesus. They were once meek and timid. Now they're powerful and outspoken. We arrest them. We beat them. We catch them. And they go right back to where we arrested him in the first place. And they're doing exactly what they did before. Why is that? Because make your calling in your election sure. Whatever it is that God's called you to, keep doing it until God tells you to do something else. You see, there's a lot of things that oftentimes will try to change our perspective in what God's called us to do. Number one, opposition. Well, you know, I used to do this for God, but you know, I don't do this for God anymore. I I stopped going to church. I stopped doing this. There's all kinds of excuses we can offer only to take the place of what God really has called us to do. Now, example, in church as an example, do you realize that you, all of you bring something here to offer one another? That's why we have coffee and donuts afterwards. Again, not just to get fat, but really to converse and fellowship and, and find out how we can help one another. And just as you also have needs, people here will minister to your needs as well. And this is part of the miracle working power of God. That you'll be talking to somebody and you say, well, golly, as a matter of fact, you're exactly the person I needed to talk to. Friends, look for God's hand in miracles in your life. We serve a miracle working God. I've had people say, well, why was God such a God of miracles in the Bible? He doesn't do miracles no more. He does do miracles today. It's just that first of all, most of us don't live close enough to the edge to see it. And second of all, We're not sensitive to what God wants to do. When you hear 
When you inject yourself into any situation, you bring the power of God in that picture. And when you do that, this is what causes the reaction in other things. See, if the Pharisees had never, if, if, if the apostles did not stand for what they believed, the apostles, the, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they would have never been challenged in their dead religion. Friends, people, I talk to people all the time. Well, I go to church, but I, I'm not into organized religion. You ever heard that one? Me either. And I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a faith in Jesus Christ. Generally speaking, religion is man's attempt to reach God. Jesus Christ is God reaching out to lost man. Big difference. See, and, and the thing is, when God does this, then God reaches out through you to a lost and dying world. And just as it was with Gamaliel, just a word here or a word there can change an entire person's destiny. And you see the miracles of God work in your life. Now, they're going to see the miracles of God work in their life. But you realize that it's something more than that. I've shared this many times. But you remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 men. We don't know how many women and children are there. It doesn't record that for us. But if you figure there was probably as many women there as there was men, that makes 10,000. And and then you had probably children there as well. So who knows how many? So it was probably a crowd of excess of at least 11,000, 12,000 people. I don't know if you've ever been in a crowd of people of 10,000 without PA systems, without any way of addressing anybody. Just one voice on, uh, with people sitting on a hill. But there's not a lot of things people know what's going on. Well, remember, Jesus told the disciples, you give them something to eat. And they looked at Jesus and they had a little boy there that had his lunch, a couple of fishes and a couple loaves of bread, a, a couple pieces of bread. And They said, Lord, all we have here is just the loaves and fishes. But what is that amongst so many? And he said, bring it to me. And Jesus prayed over it. He blessed it. He broke it. And he fed the multitudes. Now, here's the point. Everybody in the crowd, maybe 12,000 people in the crowd, all got to taste of this wonderful miracle of the loaves and fishes, God multiplying it. They all experienced the blessing. But only the disciples, those close to Jesus, knew that it was a miracle. I wouldn't be surprised if that 12,000 people sitting on the hill probably thought that Jesus had a big cave of food someplace and kept sending the disciples over to get some more. People around you will always experience the miracles that God does in your life. But it's you who close to Jesus realize that in fact it was a miracle. People will experience the miracle around you, but not know the source of the miracle. You have that in your life. That's how God works. Because God reveals himself to those who love him. The world experiences the blessing you know the source of the blessing. Miracles are alive and well on the planet Earth today. Yes, I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit are still in operation today, just as they were then. But see, a lot of times we don't live close enough to the edge to need a miracle. 
And that's where faith comes in. And that's where stepping out in faith comes in. In other words, and I've shared this many times before, but when you see something out of the ordinary, look for God. Uh, Again, when the animals were getting on the ark, after Noah had worked on this boat for over a hundred years, which by the way tells me that the carbon dating, the atmosphere, and the rate of decay had to be different before the flood than after the flood. Because if you've ever built anything and it took a hundred over a hundred years to build, one end of it would have been rotted out before you got the other end of it done. So that tells me there was a different decay rate, probably a different atmospheric composition of oxygen and nitrogen before the flood than after the flood. But the point is, is that the people saw him working on this boat for a hundred years. Hey, man, why don't you turn that into a casino? Well, (laughs) and then... One day, all of a sudden, animals that you ain't seen before start getting on this boat two by two. Now, I, I, if that was me, I would say, that's something you don't see every day. They fail to interpret the data at hand. When you see something that isn't normal, look for God. Now, you may be the only person that sees that abnormality. But it's where God wants to work. All the way through the Bible, you'll find this. The woman at the well. Jesus is setting, comes into town. There's a woman drawing water. Jesus said to the woman, give me a drink. She noticed the abnormality and wrote it in the Bible for us. It's in the Bible. She said this, how is it you being a Jew ask me a Samaritan for a drink of water? We don't talk to each other. She said it was an abnormality as well. But friends, that's where God was. And he said, give me a drink. She said, the well is deep and you don't even have a cup to draw to drink out of. You know what he was saying? I want to share your cup. Not only will I talk to you, but I'll share your bucket of water. I'll share your drinking cup. Friends, according to the Jews, the Samaritans had cooties. I mean, they had nothing to do with them. They were considered half-breeds because when the Assyrian Empire came in and conquered the northern ten tribes of Israel, what they would do is they would usually leave the old, the sick, or whatever, in the area, everybody that was able-bodied, they would take them away to some other place as slaves and relocate them, thereby disorientation, give them, you know what I'm saying. They were being disoriented so they would not cause a rebellion and try to overthrow the Assyrian Empire. This is what they would do. So then what was left behind, what they would do then is bring another group from some other area that they had conquered and bring them into the homes and the houses of where uh, the Jews once lived. Well, what happened over a period of time, they were intermarrying with the Jews and the, and, and the Gentiles, and they were considered half-breeds, thus the term Samaritans. This is where the the great divide came from, because You know, what was it? Share, half-breed is all I ever heard. Okay, never mind. But you know the story. So this is why 
she said, this is weird what you're saying to me. When you see something that's out of the ordinary, God has caused you to see that. If you see somebody in a store, again, over in the corner of the store crying, nobody else sees that, but you do. And it's not wrong to go up with that boldness like Peter and the apostles had and say, may I ask you, are you okay? No, I'm not. Or if they say, I'm fine, I'm fine. You go, no, you're not. How can I help you? What, what, What can I do? You see, this is why I believe, again, the power of the Holy Spirit is that which causes us to, first of all, be sensitive to the surroundings that we're in. Number two, I believe what the Holy Spirit does, and this is why I believe Acts or 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is sandwiched between chapters 12 and chapter 14, the demonstration, the power, the workings of the gifts of the Spirit. But between those two chapters, you have chapter 13, the love chapter. He says, though I speak with tongues of men of angels, I don't have love. It profits me nothing. Well, you know, you realize something that by nature, by nature, all of us, by nature, if they're going to hell, for some of them, good. You need to go there. But when the Holy Spirit changes our life, he does something to see that person, not for the, even the meanness that they're doing right now, but their eternal destiny. I believe the Holy Spirit puts in our heart a love for the lost, not normal. Not normal, I don't care. If somebody's crying in the store by nature, I don't care if somebody uh, doesn't want to have anything to do with God. But when God changes us, even though there's opposition, like came against the apostles with even the religious leaders of the day. And by the way, friends, this was the religious leaders. This wasn't the Roman government. This was people who claimed to know God were the biggest problem to the early church. By nature, we don't care, but by the Holy Spirit, God gives us a supernatural love for the lost. I don't care how high a person jumps in a Pentecostal service, how high the chandeliers are, how many RPM the fan is turning that they're holding on to. What makes the difference is, do you love and do you have boldness to tell them what caused this love in your heart towards them? Friends, that's what makes the difference. You know, I remember back, and some of you that are older remember back in the late 60s, early 70s, everybody, you know, um, I always use this illustration because it's so outrageous, but the Beatles came out with a song called, All You Need Is Love, and then they broke up and sued each other. I don't want that kind of love. Whatever it is you're selling, baby, I don't want it. But what everybody was, in fact, looking for was love. We had a bunch of latchkey kids in the mid-60s. They'd come home to an empty house because mom and dad were working, chasing a, a dream that never did satisfy. And so pretty much kids were just looking for love. And you'd have people come along like these different singing groups or different icons would come along. Hey, man, I love you. And they would just gravitate towards that. You see, Jesus was everything 
that people needed because Jesus was the only one that really offered the real love that I love you unconditionally. See, the world says I love you, but it's all conditional. Go out on a date. I love you, baby, if you let me do whatever I want to do. That, that's conditional love. But God comes along unconditionally, says, as a matter of fact, buddy, I love you, period. That's why we can say God is love. Now, I saw a bumper sticker back in the late 60s. It really, it really stood out to me. I still remembered it. If the bumper sticker said, love is God. That's false. That's a lie. Love is an attribute of God, but that's not all God is. Because not only does God love us, but the Bible says he changes us. He fills us with his spirit. He takes us from where we were to where he wants us to be, from the mundane, the ordinary, the doldrum, to something, wow, God, you're doing this in my life. You're causing me now to see things that I never saw before. I see the lost, deplorable condition of the world. Before, I didn't care. I didn't know. I didn't want to know. I stoned. Now God says, I want to do something brand new in your life. So we go from death to life, darkness to light. And friends, I believe as this world gets darker and darker, you as a Christian are going to shine brighter and brighter. And that's the good news. Because people are going to say, what hope do we have? And you say, there is none in this world, but there's a hope to come. This morning I pray that if you do not have a relationship with God, you would consider that. Again, in daily in the temple, in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ, Jesus as the Messiah. You see, you need a Savior. We all need one. You ever notice how many movies, TV programs, all surround a superhero? Whether it's, I'll be back, you have Arnold, or Superman, or Spider-Man, or something else. We need a Savior. We know there's things wrong. We know there's things wrong in the world. We know there's things wrong in our life. We need a Savior. This morning, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, see, Jesus died on the cross because he loved you. In spite of all the things wrong you've done, God loves you. For God so loved the world. You see, that's good news. Because even though we've done so many things wrong, God still says, I love you. You know why? God's bigger than the things you've done wrong. You need to always remember that. This morning, the Bible says, if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The unrighteousness is the dirtiness that we have in our souls. The things that you think about in your life laying on your pillow and you grit your teeth over, the wish of would have. Oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. I wish I wouldn't have done this. I wish all of that is over. God is bigger than the things you've done wrong. And God sits down. It's like kids building something and it all falls apart. And they're frustrated and they're tired. And God sits down with them and says, let me help you rebuild this right. God will do that for you. He doesn't have favorites. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. If you've been distant from God, you've been playing on the wrong side of the fence, you know that. You know that you're sold out to Christ or you're not. If you're not, I want to encourage you today, sell out. 
You're holding on to something you can't keep anyway. And if you do hold on to it, it's going to inflate away anyway. You're much better off to just say, okay, Lord, whatever I got, whatever I got left is yours. I'm going to go with you. And the Bible says, all things pass away, all things become new. This morning, we're going to pray. If you've never prayed and asked Christ into your life, yes, the one that died on the cross for you, took your place. We should have all died on that cross, but instead Jesus took the wrap and then clothed us in his righteousness. You need to be clothed in righteousness. You see, otherwise, you're doing it all on your own strength. And what does it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? So this morning, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, we're going to pray right now. And you can ask Jesus to come into your life and change you and make you a brand new person. Change your motive, your goals, your ambitions in life to reflect him so you'll have an eternal reward and a life worth living. There's nothing worse than living your life in regret. And you don't have to wait till you're 90 years old in a rest home. Many of you are living in regret right now. And I want to say this. Some of you as Christians are doing the same thing. Remember, his promises, King David said, are new every morning. You need those promises in your life. That God's never going to leave you, forsake you. No, not even to the end of the age. That's good news. So if you need to accept Christ this morning, let's pray. And let's let God do a brand new work in your life, in all of our lives, in Jesus' name. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. And I'm sorry for the foolish, meaningless way I've lived my life. So from this day forward, I confess my faith in you. I ask you to make me the best I can be. Show me what you want me to do. I believe you died on the cross for me and you have separated me from my sins and forgiven them. So now fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me, God, to be that you want me to be. And write my name in your book of life so I can live with you forever, never to be scared of dying ever again. In Jesus' name, amen.